It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. And welcome to season 13, A Taste of the Countryside, where we're celebrating food and drink produced in the British countryside. And we're especially interested in those farmers and food producers who work alongside wildlife to create really special and delicious, tasty products. Tasty products, really special, delicious, tasty treats. So this is just a preview of this series. I'm joined in the studio by Jack and Hannah, who regular podcast listeners will know help produce this podcast, and I'm very grateful for the help. And we're also joined by our very newest podcast team member, Tanya Jackson. And Tanya's been out and about in the countryside with me, uh, exploring and tasting and sampling and recording. So lovely to have you all here. Tanya, welcome. Thank you for having me. And Hannah and Jack, great to have you back. I'm sorry to say that Hannah is not in the studio, but... (laughs) Is, is at home in exile. And doing vital farming work, looking after a single chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're taking a week work. Who doesn't actually look, lay eggs anymore either. So um, You're taking yeah. a week working from home, looking after a single chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and a chicken that doesn't lay eggs. I mean, she's very lovable. I can't help myself. <laughs> so, uh, well, at least we're grateful that you've taken time away from the chicken to join us in the studio. <laughs> So this is an adventure into food. I hope you can enjoy some of the episodes that we've recorded for you. Without any ado, let's tell you a little bit about this adventure into food and the British countryside. We've got 12 episodes lined up and we are heading from, well, the wilds of northern Scotland. The very first episode, in fact, I'm about to depart to the far, far north, to Ascent, to go foraging for wild food. And we'll see how that goes. I can't, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I've absolutely, I'm just heading out with me, trusty book, a couple of nets, some bait, fishing rod, and I'll see what, see what we can find. It could be the world's most boring podcast ever. <laughs> if there's only 11 episodes this series, you know why. <laughs> if they find a skeleton, a starved man on a remote Scottish lockside, you know, it hasn't, hasn't been a great success. 
Do you know what it is you're searching for? Like, do you have anything in mind? Um, well, I'm hoping to go for razor clams, which mm. I have caught before once upon a time. Very great man, Dorset forager called John Wright, showed me how you catch razor clams by you look for the little keyhole holes in the sand at low tide. You squirt salt down the hole and it pops up. Wow. Going, Oi, what are you up to? In a Dorset accent. And then um, <laughs> and you grab it and it looks like it's, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. It's like accelerated footage of asparagus, white asparagus growing. <laughs> That's oh the politest way I can describe the, uh, the, uh, the razor clams that comes up. And you sort of grab it, but you don't pull it. You sort of hold its hand and firmly... And then it sort of gives ground and it's like a slow seaside tug of war and eventually it comes out, shell and all. And wow. then you, um, you, you put it in a bucket to clean itself for a bit and John fried it in butter, or several, we caught 20 or 30, and fried it in butter on the beach. It was the most sensational thing with sea beets. Oh, so that if I can replicate that, that would be, be heaven. But not all of our episodes are wild foraging. Perhaps, Tanya, you could tell tell us about some of the adventures you're on. Yes, well, I am going to get suited up and go and meet some bees um, in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited about that. It's a lady who um, rescues wild swarms that wouldn't otherwise survive, and she gives them a home. Um, and then she sells the honey. Oh, my goodness. So she gets free bees. She gets free bees, yeah. Free bees. I'll show myself out. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also been down to Devon to meet Mary Quick of Quick's Dairy, who um, makes the most amazing cheese and has the most lovely cows. I've met her cows and I've learned a little bit about <laughs> how to identify them. And I've brought the cheese in. This is incredible. Well, we haven't mentioned that sitting between the three of us here is the most delicious looking cheese. And I'm, I'm looking at Hannah on the screen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's very, very difficult to... I forgot that it was cheese day. <laughs> cheese day, yeah. The chicken, incidentally, also loves cheese. Okay, well, I'm afraid... That's a shame. We're going to have our own cheese yeah. together, is what I'm saying. You have yours. You, you can be we'll cheesed off ours. and we'll have our... Um, <laughs> So, well, why don't we try some of this cheese? And, I'd um, love you uh, to the, try. For the benefit of, of listeners, I'm going in. I should tell you about my... it. So we've got um, cow's and goat's milk cheese. Now, it's cut nose to rind, so it's like a long, thin triangle. Because if you imagine it, it's in these big kind of uh, rounds and it's cloth-bound, so it matures from the outside in. So inside, you've got a very different taste at the thin end here. That's the buttery uh, kind of fresh taste, the sort of virgin taste. And as you get out towards the fatter end of the wedge, that's where it's, you get that kind of older, earthy oh, kind of rind taste. I never knew that. Yeah, it's great. It's like a real journey, um, the story of the cheese. And this one is mm. named after Mary's mother. Um, it's a limited, limited range. I was going to say Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, sure. Lady Prue, mm. it's called. Mm, what do you think? Oh, my goodness. That's unlike any cheddar I've tasted, and that's a good thing. It's like mm. a... Mm. Think, Jack? It gets stronger towards the outside. Sorry, Jack. I'm, Jack's still eating, so I'm going to have to talk over him. I think it's really nice. It's good, isn't it? it? It's yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tingly on the tongue, like fiercely tingly on the tongue. <laughs> I've never... I don't think I've ever eaten cheese after being told that there would be a difference between the sort of the mm. inside and the outside. But now I've been told about it and I've actually just tried both ends. Mm. You can definitely, there mm. is a difference there and it's 
I'm, yeah, I've, I've never experienced, normally the cheese just tastes the same the yeah. whole way through. It was a real education, actually. And I love how enthusiastic she still is about cheese. So she took me to the dairy shop and we tried lots of different types. And I said, do you ever get fed up with you know, cheese? And she said, no, I, I could still have cheese for lunch. Today. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, cheese is a miraculous thing. Mm. I'm kind of overcome with that. Just thinking how you can only do that on a on a wedge of cheese cut from a block, mm. a square piece of no, cheese in the supermarket. <laughs> Which end is the, is the, is the virgin? <laughs> Hannah, it's delicious, and we'll save you some. Thank you so and much. We've also got an elderflower cheese. If you wanted to try, yes, I'm excited well. for elderflower is, cheese. Elderflower I've cheese. never heard of that. It's dried elderflower, and she always insists. She doesn't agree with things being put into cheese, you know, Wensleydale with cran- cranberries and things like mm. that. Horrible. But a friend of hers mm, badgered her to try it with dried elderflower, and it's amazing. You can't tell where the cheese taste begins and the elderflower kind of comes in. It's, it's like it's all this lovely, holistic taste if you can squeeze it in after that. <laughs> well, I definitely. That's, uh, I'm utterly intrigued. But, Jack, I think you should... Take the slice. We're going in, and it's um, well. It looks cheddar colour, but it's flecked with uh, plant material. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a chance. What do you think, Hannah? <laughs> yeah, I'm really enjoying all the cheese eating noises you're making. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but I do. It's herby cheese. <laughs> it's. I'm struggling with the old. I don't know if it's. Is there elderflower? Yes, I guess it is. But it's sort of. It's more like a very scented herby mm. background it's really nice actually surprisingly so because I, I definitely veer away from cheddars with that have been messed about with mm, with novelty cheese and what well, you've know, gone to all this trouble to mature the cheddar and then they almost thought it's not that exciting let's chuck some berries in it yeah. or let's chuck some i mean not dissing that approach but it's not my my mm. you know i tend to cheese is such a flavor but this is really interesting mm. i was intrigued because when you said elderflower normally it's quite a sweet you obviously mm. get cordial and stuff like that mm. so I, I i don't know what i was expecting but this mm. i think it, it's i think when you when you think about it you think it's gonna be quite sweet and floral but it's mm. not it's kind of just a sort of more subtle like you said herbier mm. flavor that i wouldn't have expected i don't think mm. without trying it but no I'm, it's, i think it's really nice be lovely on a cracker brilliant thank you so much and there's going to be loads more cheese tasting in the so somehow we're going to have to miraculously create a podcast where listeners can also taste alongside <laughs> scratch and well, I think I think that's that's going to be the good thing about this series is that we're going to quite a few places that are open to public or you can buy the produce somewhere mm. so I think you can listen along hear about the place and if you it does pique your interest or you want to try some of this cheese you can go and get it and yeah. Try it as well, and I think that I think that's great. Tell us what you think, mm. of course, and this is the opportunity where I say how to tell us. <laughs> which is, um, you can email me. I'm Fergus, and my email address is editor at countryfar.com. But of course, we also love it when people leave remarks and reviews on whichever podcast provider you use. So please do. Lots of episodes, as I say, the twelve episodes. You're heading. Somewhere else, aren't you? For, is, it, is it booze this time? Yes, I'm heading to Sussex to uh, go to an organic vineyard. They've got lots of measures that work in harmony with the wildlife to protect their vines and things. So there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of wildlife there. I'm very excited. I think that's a really important part of this series is we're really keen to see how 
people farm and produce great food without the sort of destroying or without impacting negatively on the land and the wildlife around them. And as we know, a lot of wildlife is utterly important to our farming system. So the pollinators and worms that, and all the other things that, you know, the predators that eat the aphids that prevent us, having, that stop us having to use pesticides. So very keen to hear these stories and to kind of look for tales of hope around the place because we often, you know, there's a lot of neg- negative stories. A lot of farmers are doing incredibly brilliant work and let, let's, let's champion them. So yes, to go and see how people are, you know, successfully creating wildflower margins, using fewer damaging inputs, and creating really exciting products that we, you know, part of our everyday lives. So look forward to that. And alongside these wonderful farms, we'll be sharing some of our own tales of daring do from foraging, as I will be in Scotland, to grow your own. I know, Hannah, far away, unable to eat cheese, but but you've got, so you've got <laughs> the allotment there. Yes. And um, an exciting thing that's happened this week is the uh, courgettes have poked their head above the soil and are gra- growing at a an alarming rate. They are alarming courgettes in most yes. in all, almost all respects, and one of the best things you can grow. But um, what else are you growing? Uh, okay, we've got lots of different beans. Uh, we've got uh, loads of lettuces. We've got broccoli. We've got tomatoes, indoor and outdoor, leeks, shallots. Uh, peas, loads of fruit bushes. I won't go into all of the different kinds. Um, carrots. They're totally self-sufficient. It's really brilliant. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to. No. Firstly, two things. Firstly, I think you're brave growing broccoli. I've never managed to grow it without sort of everything. Almost, almost all. We creatures. do purple sprouting oh, broccoli, right. and it seems yeah. to be okay. And we have a sacrificial one as well. Do- so um, there's one that's always wriggling with uh, okay. different kinds of. Yeah, we have the, the annual Brassica massacre, which is the sort of tragic <laughs> tale of, of most any sort of cabbagey type thing. But I, I also grow purple sprouting and it's one that grows during the winter when everything else isn't around. Yes. So that's good. Um, Pete, you're growing peas. I've, um, I've got an issue with peas. I think they're one of the most, one of the greatest of all vegetables, but uh, the sparrows have eaten all my seedlings. Um, yeah, you do have problems with sparrows. Lots of sp- I, and so it's and sparrows are a very precious and treasured creature. So which part are they eating? Well, they, is it when they're like quite young or? All well, what the time? they do is they sort of gather around on the soil, sitting in their armchairs, and then <laughs> the moment the pea shoot appears, it sort of gets about four or five centimetres tall, they think that's plenty. And they, they're obviously eating the sweet, fresh, green. I mean, it's, it's, they've got chicks in the nest. It's probably really good for the chicks. But I've put various shrubby materials around to try and protect the peas, but the sparrows just go through it and I look and there's, there's this... So you don't have that problem out in where you are? No. Well, one small thing we do with the pea shoots is um, so we get plastic bottles so like those big um two liter plastic bottles you get cut off the top and make sort of miniature cloches for each plant each pea plant and then we wait yeah so then when they they can grow under there in the warmth um and if they need watering then you can you take the lids off obviously and then the rain can get in you can water them but it does protect them for a short while until they're big enough to kind of fend for themselves this is great that's a great tip i might have to do that i don't think it's too late for peas we're recording this in mid-May, so it's not too late. I just sort of, I never want to rage at the sparrows, but there are moments when I think, 
darn you sparrows and your <laughs> eating ways. Um, yeah, that's cool. And you've got a chicken that doesn't lay any eggs, so you can't have the full rounded <laughs> meal. <laughs> dear, oh dear. You, you've got a both. You've got a garden, Tanya and Jack. You've got a garden. You're growing anything? My son is growing um, against my will. He's growing sweet potatoes and lettuce. Sweet potatoes and lettuce. Um, yeah. Well, his his granddad has an allotment up in Yorkshire, and every time we go to visit, of course, we come home with armfuls of half-eaten leeks and <laughs> all sorts. Um, <laughs> and did. grandfather doesn't finish them. <laughs> <laughs> eaten by uh, eaten by whatever else is yes living by, by there. The, yeah, the, the slugs um, in there. Yeah. So Arthur wants to uh, do the same in our garden. Sweet potatoes is an ambitious one. Mm. Yeah. Jack, you growing anything? I know you're growing rabbits, but um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, nothing in the garden. Um, just because it's it would be I think near impossible to grow anything in it, just because one side's really sunny, one side's too shady. And mm. but obviously been helping out at my dad's allotment. So like Hannah, been growing, helping to grow quite a bit there. Um, including we're really good at growing weeds. There's such thing as a weed. <laughs> it's just a wildflower that isn't cherished. <laughs> I mean, it did get to a point where I couldn't tell the difference between the strawberry plant and the weeds. <laughs> there might be, there might be weeds you can eat. Probably, it's always a yeah. Watch the rabbit and then follow what you're doing. <laughs> Jack. For those who don't know, Jack has a rabbit that visits his garden, and uh, it, it won't be part of the harvesting. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, What's your favorite? If you if you were to grow one vegetable, what would it be? And this is I'm throwing this open to the. Ooh, what a question! For me, it's the peas. peas. I mean, I already grow them, but they're just they are the best. And the pleasure of like popping the pod every single time is delightful. Eating them straight out of the pod is wonderful. Eating the pea shoots themselves, brilliant. There's nothing not to love about a pea. Tanya, if you had one vegetable, if you had to, on a desert island and you could only choose one vegetable, oh. Has to be sweet corn. Sweet corn, okay. Fresh sweet corn. It's oh. like nothing else. Yes, sweet corn. So we've got peas, sweet corn. Just a good mix. Jack, you. Uh... I have no idea. I'm really indecisive. Really? <laughs> nice I, I nice potato. Very <laughs> <laughs> nice potato. <laughs> nice onion. <laughs> um, I don't really know. Oh, you're going to have to put some thought into this for episode two. I, I, will, think, I will think about it. I'll come back with my answer. Yeah, the one that you can't. Yeah, broad beans for me. If the black fly oh, don't get yeah. them, because you can't you can't buy a broad bean in the shops. I don't think that has that they always sort of taste a bit mealy and flowery yeah. and kind of bitter. But when you grow your own and you, the similar sort of thing, although the difference between peas and broad beans is they all come in a nice soft bed. Yeah, <laughs> so they come out. Soft, you feel like yeah. mean taking them out of this lovely soft duvet that they're wrapped in, and then straight into boiling hot water. So even more mean, and then. <laughs> they just, they're so delicious. They don't need to be podded. All these chefs tell you, pod your broad beans. They're just amazing to eat the whole thing. And just with butter, delicious. And not far off. But the black fly normally get mine. So there's, a, there's a sparrows and black fly. Do you put have, them in in the autumn or in the, the spring? In spring and apparently autumn. Yeah, That's I how think, to do it. Yeah. We had an allotment ages ago. So you've got the experience there. Yeah. Brilliant. I've got a question for you then. Black fly or horse fly, which is better? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be by a horse fly than have a black fly infestation of my broad beans. This is like Gardner's oh, wow. Question Time. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my list, uh, the, the podcast list of fly preferences is really yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are nice hoverflies that do the pollinating. So mm. um, 
We've, we, mm. we, yeah, they're not all bad. I don't understand why the sparrows aren't eating the black fly. That's a conundrum. Um, yeah, or the ladybirds. There's, there's, they're just not. They're not working hard enough, the ladybirds. I think I have to go and... I don't know whether they've been unionised or something. <laughs> yeah, no. They're just, they're just refusing to, to, to chomp as as they show you in all the sort of, don't worry, the ladybirds will get them. And <laughs> I find yeah. that like, the ladybird is sort of he's full and he's having a cigarette sort of thing. <laughs> while, while there's the, 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 as um, Dominic mentioned, Dominic Cousins in a podcast about that we did in the New Forest a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned how aphids like blackfly can have multi-generations in one day. So oh. the, the, the newborn aphid is already pregnant with its next, because they, they, they give birth to live young. So it pops out and it's already, the grandchild is already oh, <laughs> ready to come out. And by the end of the day, and Dominic did make the joke of if the eldest at the beginning of the day talked to the one at the end of the day, there'd be so many generations going, back in my day, it was different <laughs> when this ball being plugged. So um, that's that's why they suddenly, from from going out there and thinking, aha, I've defeated them this year. And then <laughs> the next day, oh my goodness, it's it's like, you know, some an army has descended. So there'll be plenty more chance to chat about food over the coming weeks. And as I say, it's 12 episodes and we'll be taking you around the country on these wonderful food adventures. So it just goes for me to say thank you, everybody, for your lovely contributions. And to everyone listening, please join us next week for the first of our food adventures, A Taste of the Countryside. For now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.